who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Drabblecast, Episode 5. The Drabblecast is a podcast dedicated to bringing you strange stories by strange authors. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. I'll be narrating these stories. Please feel free to send in your stories of 2,000 words or less to goatkeeper at hotmail.com. Had a lot of good response from last week's story by Kendall Marchman, Uncle Ollie's Gift. Most people thought it was really, really gross. And most people seem to really enjoy that. So I'm almost uh, disappointed I didn't get any hate mail on that one. Maybe that just means not enough people are listening to the Drabblecast. You should be a pal and tell a friend or two about this. Tell them they can go to iTunes and search for Drabblecast and uh, download it, and it'll bring joy to their Wednesday. There were a few technical problems surrounding the story I was going to read today. So instead, I'll be substituting one of my stories, Guardians, by Norm Sherman. It's a little lengthier than the average drabble you'll hear on this podcast, so I'll go ahead and get started. Without further ado, Guardians by Norm Sherman. Mark slammed on his brakes and swerved to the left just as he saw the boy on the bicycle. It really was as he had always heard it would be in these situations. Time seemed to freeze. He was drunk. He decided to take the back way home from the bar. The last thing he expected to see out here in the middle of the road at 1 a.m. was some kid on a bike. Now, in this split second of eternity, even through his drunken stupor, he could tell he would hit the boy straight on. He wondered if the boy was experiencing the same still shot of this moment, soaking in and reflecting upon his last image of this world. Now, there was a man, a huge man, in a light gray suit. He had some sort of silver weapon fastened to his belt. The man had appeared in front of the boy, or maybe even taken the place of the boy, 
and he was planted, with his body seeming prepared to field the renegade vehicle. Mark began to feel the frozen second thawing out, accelerating to normal again, and just as things flashed back, he saw a green blur streak from somewhere in his periphery and collide with the giant man in the car's path. The windshield of Mark's car exploded. A hailstorm of glass rained in all directions. Hot pain washed over his face. The smell of burnt tires filled his nose. The world was nothing but violent spinning, loud noise and confusion. And then it was over. Mark's head was whirling. He wiped blood from his brow. He stumbled out of his vehicle in a daze. This didn't seem real. He looked at his car. There was a small, limp figure tangled in the spiderweb glass of his windshield. A child's bicycle lay twisted on the sidewalk, the back tire still spinning. You ought to get the kid out of your windshield, came a female voice from behind him. Through Mark's bewilderment, he turned to see a tall, slender woman with auburn hair wearing a dark green dress. By her side, strewn out in the asphalt, was the enormous man in the gray suit, his head neatly severed from his body. In a calm and gentle tone, she said, Seriously, you have to get a grip and pull it together now, or in ten minutes you'll be in handcuffs. Was he really that drunk? He was hallucinating. Uh, maybe it was all a dream. Maybe he'd passed out at the bar. Either way, the woman in green was right. He had to get this kid off his windshield and get out of here. Even a dream about getting locked up was worth avoiding if possible. Mark unraveled the mangled body of the boy from his car. He felt sharp glass cut his skin, and he became less and less convinced that he was dreaming. He drugged the boy to the curb a few feet from his bike and released him face down onto the sidewalk. Mark's head was still spinning and sweat mixed with the blood on his forehead and ran down to sting his eyes. He felt like vomiting. He had to get out of here, though, before somebody saw him. Get in, said the woman in green as she opened the passenger side door of his car and stepped in. Who are you? Mark asked. Get in and drive. We can talk then. Hurry, she replied. Mark stumbled to his car and slumped inside, not even bothering to brush off the broken glass in his seat. He started his car and hit the gas heavy. He never imagined how strange it would be to drive without most of his windshield, the feeling of wind openly hitting his face. As he drove, he noticed a strange silver weapon fastened to the woman's belt. It wasn't exactly like the one the gray man had, but it was very similar. Fear started to twist Mark's gut. This woman had literally just beheaded a man, and now she was in his passenger seat. He had let this psychotic woman into his car without even thinking twice about it. How could he have been so foolish? Answer me, he called, pitching his voice above the sound of the rushing wind. Who are you? I'm your guardian, she replied. I'm hallucinating. You can't be real, Mark stammered. Well, I'm not real. Not in the sense that you would normally think of, at least. I had to protect you from that other guardian. He would have thrown your car off the road. I don't think he counted on you having such a skilled protector, though. She smirked. I don't understand. Mark whined, starting to panic. His head was swimming. He had to pull over. He was far enough away now. He could swing into the side road and rest for a minute. Of course you don't understand, she said consolingly. This is all a lot for you to take in right now, and I'm very sorry that this is happening. You don't have to understand, though, Mark. You just have to know that things will be okay. Things will always be okay. I'll always be your protector.
You're my guardian angel? Mark asked. She chuckled. Whatever you want to call it. Her hair was long and electric in the wind. It smelled like oak leaves. Who was that gray man? asked Mark. You killed him. I told you, Mark, he was the guardian of the boy in the bicycle. And yes, I killed him. I killed that boy, Mark blurted, as if just now coming to this realization. I shouldn't be driving. I'm hallucinating. I'm going crazy. Mark, her voice was like warm bath water, a haven of comfort. Mark, that boy was riding his bicycle on the middle of the road at one in the morning. How foolish is that? It wasn't your fault. The boy's mother and his guardian warned him repeatedly not to do exactly what he chose to do. The man in the gray suit, he, he was going to kill me? asked Mark. Mark, in this world there are guardians and there are the protected. There are tragedies and conflicts beyond what you can see going on all the time. Rarely, though, do things unfold the way they have tonight. Guardians offer guidance. We present choices. Chucking cars off of highways is desperate and unprofessional, to say the least. Mark was sobbing. I wish I had listened to your advice back at the pub. I really was going to call a cab. Mark, she whispered, putting her warm hand on his neck. Mark, don't cry. You did listen to my advice. You almost always do. That's why you're so precious to me. She was stroking his hair. It wasn't your fault. How was I following your advice by driving home completely trashed? Mark blurted. The woman in green looked puzzled. She waited for a moment before replying. Because, Mark, I suggested that if you did drive home, you should definitely take the back way because there wouldn't be any police. Why would my guardian angel tell me to drive home drunk? Mark yelled, saliva flinging from his lips. Mark, I didn't tell you to do anything, and even more importantly, I never said I was an angel. I just said I was your guardian. You called me your guardian angel. Mark stared at her. His jaw hung open. She stopped stroking his hair. She knew what his next question was, and she could tell from the look in his eyes that he wouldn't be able to ask it. Why should there only be guardian angels, Mark? Mark's jaw was twitching. He choked in the fluid building up in his throat. He tried to speak, but the words came out as short gasps for air. I know what you're thinking, Mark, she said affably. You don't like the idea of being protected by someone from the other team. I totally understand. You need to realize, though, that you have a very skewed and biased idea of what good and evil really are. His head was shaking. His hair was plastered to his forehead with sweat and dried blood. He stared at her eyes, so dark, so beautiful. Her chin was shaped perfectly to frame her soft red lips. I'm going back there, he stifled out. She giggled and lightly slapped her hand against his arm. Let's go home, Mark. Don't worry about any of this. I'll take care of everything. Mark's head suddenly began to clear. He shook her hand away. I'm going back and I'm turning myself in, he yelled. The woman in green looked as if she was sincerely trying to hold back another giggle, forcing a serious facade. It was difficult. He was all riled up and cute. Do you think that will save your soul, Mark? Is that what you're thinking? Because it won't. Your soul isn't even lost. If you go back there, you'll get arrested, and you'll spend the next fifteen years in jail. I'll do my best to protect you from all the convicts and their guardians, but I hear they're a pretty brutal crowd. 
you'd be throwing your life away for nothing. Not for nothing. It's the right thing to do, he squawked. Mark, you don't even understand what right and wrong are. I'm not evil. I never chose to have you protect me. He started his car and swerved away from the side of the road. You don't choose us, Mark. We choose you. You're an investment. The other guardians didn't even think you were worth protecting. We knew that you had great potential, though, Mark, and we were right. You don't usually let us down. Mark began to shake his head. That's not me, he said, as he turned his car around. Tears began streaming down his face. What's this really about, Mark? Do you think you're going to hell or something? Do you think you can change who you are by turning yourself into the police? She asked, almost flirtatiously. Mark slammed his foot on the gas pedal. Let me clue you in, Mark. Let me try to protect you from yourself this time, the woman in green continued. You're valuable to us. The others protect those that are valuable to them. They don't want anything to do with you, Mark. If you go back there, you won't find redemption. The others know you, as well as we know you, as well as you know yourself. You know I'm right, don't you, Mark? Mark said nothing. He was weeping with abandon, but his hands held the wheel steady. He was speeding back to where the boy's twisted body lay on the curb, where the boy's parents were probably shivering and clutching their faces in disbelief where police and ambulances gathered and filled the dark and quiet landscape with flashing lights and noise. The woman in green let out a heavy and resolved sigh as she saw the flashing lights up ahead. After all these years, you've still managed to surprise me, Mark. I thought you were smarter than this. Oh, well. Listen, I'm going to have to duck out for a little while here. I'm fairly certain there are going to be a load of other guardians up ahead that will probably not be too happy to see me, seeing as how I left one of their buddies without a place to hang his halo. You can leave me? Mark asked, his voice brimming with hope. Well, I can't leave you when you need protecting, of course, but I'm a busy girl, Mark. I've got other things to do aside from sitting around and watching you make the stupidest mistake of your life and turning yourself in. Mark's heart sank again. You use me, he said, almost whispering. We just protect you, Mark, she said straightening her lipstick in the mirror. But yes, I guess in a sense we are using you, by keeping you safe. She looked the road ahead nervously and continued, Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to go run some errands. I'll catch up with you soon, though, okay, sweetie? Mark looked the woman in green. She was wrong about what she had said earlier. He knew the difference between right and wrong. You would have to know the difference and choose one way in order for them to know who to protect. He knew the choices he had made during his life, and he knew he would go on the rest of his life making the same choices. That was who he was. There was no way out of it. Unless his guardian failed to protect him. His eyes looked dark and resigned, but his mouth, his mouth cracked slightly, and a slender, crazed smile crept up the side of his dirty cheek. You aren't going anywhere, he muttered to her. The woman in green turned to look at him, and then at the scene directly in front of the accelerating car. He was going to nosedive straight into the crime scene. He was going to make her stay to protect him from a whole army of guardians. He was trying to kill them both. Time seemed to freeze again. There was a small body covered in a sheet being hoisted into an ambulance. There were two adults, the child's parents. 
shaking and talking to a policeman. There were three other police inspecting the immediate area and speaking on handheld radios. Then there were six giants dressed in gray, appearing from nowhere. They were facing the oncoming car with long silver blades, their expressions washed with fury. There was Mark, a man fanatical and resigned. And then there was the woman in green, her long auburn hair dancing in the wind, her hand reaching for the weapon at her side, her eyes filling with dread as she stared at the six guardians she was plummeting towards. Well, that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, can this Norm Sherman guy write any stories that aren't about demons? Hey, lay off, man. Demons are sweet, and you know it. Well, I wanted to take a minute here to talk about the coolest discovery of our time, or really of human history to date. If you haven't heard, they found a colossal squid off the waters of the Antarctic. And if you aren't sure what a colossal squid is, it's only the second coolest marine aquatic animal that exists in our world today. Right behind the plesiosaur, which we all know lives out at the uh, Loch Ness. So this article, a colossal squid has been caught in Antarctic waters. The first example of retrieved virtually intact from the surface of the ocean. All we knew prior to this specimen coming through was that this animal lived in the abysmal environment down in the Antarctic. New Zealand squid expert and senior research fellow at Auckland University of Technology, Dr. Steve O'Shea, told BBC News Online. He goes on to say, Now we can say that it attains a size larger than the giant squid. Giant squid is no longer the largest squid out there. We've got something that's even larger, and not just larger, but an order of magnitude meaner. This is a squid that weighs a thousand pounds, has eyes as big as dinner plates, and now scientists are saying that it's officially meaner than a giant squid, which was, prior to this, the biggest, most badass squid they'd ever seen in their lives. Luke Coddington, author of uh, our story a few weeks ago, Next Stop, commented on our Facebook forum, which you can find at uh, facebook.com, with a little search for Drabblecast. Luke says, how did they quantify the meanness of the squid? Is this just a subjective observation, where they interviewed the fishermen who caught it, noted the hooked suckers, and decided it was an order of magnitude meaner than other squid? I prefer to imagine that there's an accepted test to quantify meanness in animals. Perhaps they put the animal in a tank with something cute and helpless, say a puppy or a seahorse or a human baby, and then strictly grade how much damage the animal does to it. Of course, they'd have to make sure the animal was well-fed, content, and comfortable first, to control for hunger and fear in the reaction. Any damage received would then be directly attributable to indulgence on the part of the subject. Can you tell Luke was a biology major? No, but I have to agree with him here. You can't really go around calling giant sea creatures mean until they've had a chance to prove it. Pretty much all we know about giant squid is they tend to get their ass kicked by sperm whale. And on that note, thanks for listening to episode 5 of the Drabblecast. Tune in next Wednesday for episode 6. In the meantime, go to www.normsherman.com for some pretty sweet tunes and send in your stories, preferably about Colossal Squid, to goatkeeper at hotmail.com. And always remember, 
Friends don't let friends drive drunk. That's what your guardian demon does. Epilogue. Mark's head pounded him awake. He was on his side, his face somehow pressed against the passenger seat of his car. He was lying horizontally in his vehicle, but his car was tilted to a odd angle. He crawled out of the passenger side door to see that his car had skid off the road and into a sharp embankment. He had bitten his tongue and could taste the blood in his mouth. His ears were ringing and his body ached. Before him, up on the embankment, he saw flames exploding into the sky. A gnarled ambulance tipped over and bled smoke. Human bodies knotted together with bent metal. Beside the burning disaster, he saw the woman in green, a fury of lethal limbs and silver metal cutting down what appeared to be the last of the gray men. She glanced at Mark just as he divorced the gray man's head from the rest of his huge body. This couldn't be happening. She wasn't supposed to beat them. There were too many of them. They were supposed to win. They were supposed to kill her, to kill both of them. The woman in green wiped perspiration from her brow, replacing it with a smear of dark blood. She called down to him. You offed not only the kid, but his family and half the damn police department in this shit town. See, Mark, that's the kind of work that makes you a real asset. No. No. Mark gasped and fell to his knees. Had she planned this the whole time? I told you that you were valuable to us, Mark. Why else do you think they picked me to protect you? She said as she kicked the severed head of the last gray man down the embankment, sending it rolling towards Mark. It came to rest a few feet away from his collapsed frame, a blank look in its dead eyes. Nobody beats me, Mark. In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging, to mental health, to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real. It's intimate. And it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued so be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.